0: So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be kind of in Acts chapter 9 this morning. Um, And and as we kind of turn there and set it up, over the past several years, uh, our our church has had the ability uh, to go to Magdalena, Guatemala every single year. And it is a joy of ours to be able to go down there and partner with an organization called Love Guatemala. They are just an amazing organization that loves on the people there. They believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and they believe in taking the gospel of Jesus to people while also simultaneously giving them vocational training to be able to teach these people how to earn a livable wage in their society. And so every year we, we send folks down to this place and we partner with them. We, we partner with them in o- other ways. Our All-Stars Week donates money. We, we built a feeding center with them. We do a lot of really great things in this city, and we're excited to be going back again this upcoming year, but one of the things that we get to do while we're down there is we get to have a little bit of fun. Uh, We take about a half day, one morning, and we go to a volcano. Now, if you don't know anything about Guatemala, what you need to know is, I believe, the, the country of Guatemala has more active volcanoes than any other country in the world. There's a ton of volcanoes in this place. As a matter of fact, where we stay in Magdalena, we are looking at about two volcanoes, and if you're lucky, some of the groups in the years past have been able to see these volcanoes puffing up smoke and uh, hopefully not too many other things, but it has happened, one erupted a few years ago, as you may have noticed in the news, but we get to go to this volcano. We go to the volcano called Pacaya, and uh, what's cool about this place is we're about an hour away from this volcano, and so you have this enormous, amazing view of a volcano and we're about an hour, hour hour and a half away like I said and we get in buses and we load up and we start driving and you have a great view of of the volcano and the city and every minute you get closer the view just increases and its beauty and its wonder and at one point we get we get almost to the base of the mountain and we start climbing up in in, in our bus and we were already at about 7,000 feet altitude and so Imagine that, and then you're going up in a bus up the side of a mountain right next to this volcano. And we're going up the side of this mountain, and the views are just getting much more spectacular every minute. And, and at one point, we stop, we get off the bus, and they give us horses. Now, as you can imagine, they gave me the smallest horse that was available, uh, and it came really quick and easy. Oh, there's a horse this guy will fit on perfectly. And my horse was probably cussing the entire time that I'm riding up the side of this mountain. But I'm on this horse and we're going up and it, it, it's kind of scary at moments because you're, you're kind of winding on the side of this mountain slash volcano and you get to a point where the horse can no longer go. And so you get off the horse and you start trucking it. You start walking up and I mean the sights are amazing. We get to a point where there's this little uh, little hut that sells all kinds of little crazy things. But at this moment, like you know touristy stuff, but at that same moment, you can get marshmallows, and you take them out, and you roast marshmallows in the heat of the, the now dried magma that has leveled out that area. And you're kind of walking on this very sharp rock, and it's so hot that you stick the marshmallow down there, and you toast your marshmallows. Like, that's crazy. It's, it's less crazy now because it just erupted, but when I went about four years ago, it hadn't erupted in about six or seven years And it was still hot. Like my marshmallow would come out on fire from this heat. That's the good part. It gets better, but it gets difficult before it gets better. So you get done roasting your marshmallow. You've already trekked up a lot of the mountain. And you're a little tired because you're overweight. And, I mean, you're not overweight. Maybe I'm overweight. And you're you're, you're up really high. And you look to your right and your tour guide says, we're going to climb up that it looks like it's a 90 degree, you know, increase, incline. Like, it is straight up and down. And I go, who's climbing up it? Like, I I don't know how this is going to happen. So the first year I go, there's several of us, and we we start climbing up this uh, hill. We'll call it a hill, just to make it sound good, right? And there's a point where you actually kind of have to get on all fours, because you're not walking up this hill. And I remember, we're pushing people. We're Let's go! It's like football camp. Like, it's just intense. Now, some people are like, oh, I got it just fine. And I'm like, good for you. I don't, and neither do the 16 people behind me. But it's okay. And so we climb up to this thing, and then, like, manna from heaven, there's a Gatorade stand right there at the top. I mean, it's like a $20 Gatorade, but it's there. And you get this Gatorade, and you turn right, and you go probably 20 yards or so and what you thought you saw from the ground, this amazing view of a gorgeous volcano, you turn and you look and see what you can only imagine as being touched by God. I mean, it is just the most gorgeous view that you've probably ever seen. You feel like you can see the ocean on a clear day, and it is just absolutely breathtaking. It is just a wonderful view, and you're on the top of this mountain volcano thing, And you look out and you see more. You see the hills and the valleys. And and what, what you don't know is when you're standing in the valley, it's not really that pretty. Up there you think it's pretty. And now you're standing up there and you're looking down and you go, look at all of the geography and the landscape that God has made. And it is so good. I mean, it's just a really good view. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about this idea of searching for happiness. Every single one of us does it. We, in, in, throughout our life, we will search for happiness. It's just something that we do. And we go high and low, we take our gear with us, and we set up, and we start looking for happiness everywhere we can find it. Augustine puts it like this. He says, without exception, all try their hardest to reach the same goal. That is joy. And, and what we found out in week one is that happiness begins with the thankfulness and contentment in the Lord. If we want to be happy, it begins by being thankful and content in who he is and what he has done. That's where it begins. And that only comes from what we talked about last week is having repentance and faith and belief in Christ. The repentance and faith, we believe in Jesus, we we firmly trust who he is, and that is what allows us to be thankful and content for who he is and what he has done. Now let me say this. This isn't to say that people without Christ can't have moments of happiness. I, I, I think that would be a, a very false statement to say the only way you can ever be happy at any moment in your life is to be in Jesus. And I, and I think some people who aren't in Jesus would look at me and say, I'm pretty happy. And I would say, I think you think you are too. I think in this moment, you think you're pretty happy. But what I would, what I would impress upon you is that it's momentary happiness. It's not, it's not this peace, this joy, this long-lasting happiness that we see throughout Scripture in Christ. And I think when you look at the mountain and you look at the, the volcano and that that trek that we had to take, I think oftentimes in our life, coming to Jesus is a lot like this mountain. We, we enter this relationship with Christ and we see an amazing view. We see this glorious picture of the goodness of God and we set up camp at the base of the mountain. And we say, God, you are so good. We believe in who you are. We believe in your character. We are firmly planting ourselves at the base of your mountain. And we look all over the place at different times to try to find maybe a little more, a little extra, because at times, we might find ourselves unsettled with the base of the mountain. We might find ourselves tempted to kind of look around in different places. We don't move our camp. We're still there. But at times, we go, I wonder what's around that bend. I wonder what's on that side of the street. And, and we forget about the goodness of God. And we, because we never climb to the top of the mountain. We never get to the top. And in this series, we're looking at a, a guy named Paul. We're looking at his life. And last week, we, we, we looked at this place in Paul's life where the intro of Paul in Scripture is he's holding the coats of murderers. He's holding the coats for guys that are about to stone Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And we ended last week looking at this interaction between Jesus and Paul where they came face to face on the road to Damascus where Paul was set out to persecute and 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 kill Christians Jesus comes face to face with him on the road to Damascus and what I want us to do today is I want us to really try to answer one question did Paul stay at the base of the mountain is that the example that God wants us to see in Paul's life is to set up at the base of God's goodness that 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 right when you enter into the relationship with Jesus Christ, you just plant yourself there. Did Paul do that? Or did he do something else? And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, we're going to pick up right after that interaction that Jesus and Paul have. Acts chapter 9, verse 7. It says, the men who were traveling with him, now this is the men who were traveling with Paul, after seeing this amazing sight where light comes out, and Jesus is speaking directly to Paul. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, as I think I would too. Hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul, remember we talked about his name changed last week, rose from the ground. And although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was out without sight, and he neither ate nor drink. So this was a very impactful moment in Paul's life. It, if for nothing else, it, it made him lose his sight and he felt pretty sickly for about three days. And so what we're going to see next is that God goes and talks to a guy named Ananias. We're going to pick up in verse 11. And the Lord says to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And what's really important here is that Ananias recognizes the name and, and the, the characteristics that God describes to him. In that moment, Ananias goes, hold on. A guy named Saul from Tarsus, the dude who used to kill us, the dude who like tries to put us in, I'm not going there. Like, why would I do that? And he rebuttals to God. And he's like, I, I, there, no, you've got the wrong dude. There's no way I need to go talk to him. He's totally gone. There's no chance you need to waste your breath. And God responds to him and says this in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him How much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now that one verse right there. I need, I need, I'm not, this is like, this is free. That one verse, I think in so many ways, in our heads, is counterintuitive to how we see God. I mean, let's just be honest. We walk into this place this morning. We sing songs of God's goodness and his grace and his mercy. And we see a passage where he says to Ananias, for I will show Paul. How much Paul must suffer for the sake of my name. What's interesting is Paul receives those words very differently. If you read through the book of Galatians, Paul says, look, I was chosen for an amazing calling. And I wear that badge of honor with pride. I want to have that kind of perspective. When, when God looks at me and says, Chris, you're going to have to do some things. You're going to go through a, an amazing amount of suffering. I want to be able to have the perspective that God gave Paul and say, that's cool because it's all for you. It's all for your glory. That's pretty that's pretty spectacular in my opinion. Anyway, let's move forward. So Ananias takes the word of the Lord and goes to Paul. This is this is key. He opens up the very first words he says to Saul is brother. Now, that might not mean much to you and I because Hulk Hogan has made that you know title pretty popular. How you doing, brother? Nobody? Nobody? Okay, appreciate that. Thank you, right? But these words in this context is extremely important. Ananias uses a word that says, Paul, me and you are like flesh. We're like brothers. We might not legitimately be from the same family, but you are adopted, I am adopted, we are chosen, redeemed in the blood of Christ. Brother Saul... Ananias the dude that doesn't want to do this takes the calling of the Lord goes to Paul and immediately says you're accepted not only by God but you're accepted by me when God calls you to do something he didn't just give you a partial call he called you to have faith and invest in what he's called you to See, we often want the full blessing and the full character of God in our lives, but we only want to give him a portion of our faith in our lives. Like, see that in Ananias. The pushback, and then as soon as he gets to Paul, he says, Brother, you're accepted. How often do we receive the calling of God and go, I'm all in? To go talk to someone who wants to possibly murder me. Three days earlier, he wanted me to be either dead or in jail. God, I'm all in. That is some serious faith. Like when I read this story, I go, Lord, just give me a just a, a fraction of that kind of faith. Just, just give me a fraction of that kind of faith. Back to the text. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So Ananias goes all in, full faith call. and says, all right, man, let's get up. I'm, I'm here to lead you in the way, the truth and the life, through Jesus. Like you have accepted him, stand up, receive him. And in that moment, scales fall from Paul's eyes. And I can only imagine the feelings that he was feeling in that moment to have once been blind and can now see. And he stands up and one historian slash biographer, a guy named John Pollock says it like this. Never had trees looked fresher than these Damascus apricots and peaches, nor waters so clear as the Abana River, which is the river that's right near there in Damascus. And Paul is somewhat having this Scrooge Christmas morning moment. If you can play back to to Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, he wakes up, young boy, what day is it? Well, it's Christmas, sir. It's amazing. Go by the biggest turkey. Like Paul is having this moment where the scales have fallen from his eyes and he all of a sudden sees the world in a very different picture. And it's a glorious moment for Paul. Like I can see him skipping down the road. Maybe not. He's a little hurt from the moment. But in spirit, He's kind of looking forward. He, he, he goes to get baptized, and he, he is all in. No doubt Paul could have quoted in that moment, Psalms 19:1, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork." He looks out in creation, he goes, "Man, this is gorgeous, because he sees the world with very different eyes. And Paul could have very easily in that moment sat down at the foot of the mountain of God, lived the rest of his life in peace, and could have found happiness right there. We talked about how he was raised in a, in a, in a world where he knew how to do business pretty well. He made black tents from, from black goats. It was a pretty lucrative business. He had a lot of money, so he could have very easily started a small business he could have raised that small business and, and invested and, and maybe got a little wealth, more wealth in his life. He was already a pretty wealthy man and he, he could have gotten married and had kids and just lived the, 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 the life that many of us look at and go, man, that's a good life. He could have attended church and he could have been a deacon on the, on the, on the church board. He could have led worship. He could have filled in here and there in different volumes. He'd be the guy like rocking the baby in the nursery because he's just that sweet dude because he's just got it all. That's Paul. He could have easily right there done that. But Paul would have been missing out on two very important things. And the first one is the calling to follow Jesus. The calling to follow. Not just like put your name as, as Christian. Not just say, oh, I'm a part of the way, which is what the, the first century believers were called. No, no, no. He decided to follow Jesus. Think about, if you're a parent in the room, think about how we raise our kids. As they're growing up and they're really young, we ask them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you, you want to be a fireman? Do you, you want to be an astronaut? Do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be a lawyer? What, what do you want to do? And then they get a little older and they get into the high school and we're going, hey, what do you want to do after high school? What, what do you want to What do you want to major in? What what do you want to go to? You want to to go to college? You want to to do something else? Please go to college. Like, let's just be honest. What we're saying. What do you want to major in? Business. What do you know about business? Right? PE. You're not going to make any money. What are you doing? Right? We're we're pushing all these things on these people, and we're saying, "Come on, let's do these." And and let me let me let me let me say this. None of these are bad things. Right? These are not bad things to have these conversations. These are good things. We were made to work. Adam and Eve worked. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, do it for the Lord. So being a worker is a good thing. Let me me say this. Where does the Great Commission come into play in that style of parenting? So I, I can honestly say this. My son Mike is four years old. I have never once given a thought about what the dude's going to do when he gets older for a living. I don't go to bed at night going, man, I really wish my four-year-old will learn this trade so he can make a lot of money. You know what Amy and I do think about at night and what I lose sleep over? I hope he knows the Lord. I hope he follows him with his entire being. Because that job, it could go away. That, that. That lucrative salary can be closed down real quick. But the things of the Lord never fade. And I know you're there with me, parent. Like, I know you think about this. And this thought shouldn't just stay in one place. It should consume our lives, not only as parents, but as business owners, as as employees, as employers. We should be people that are going, how can we point back to the Great Commission? Because... It's exactly what it says it is. Great. It didn't say the, after you get everything settled, commission. Hey, once, once you feel safe, commission. No, no, no. Jesus goes and says, hey, do this. Matthew, 8, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, now this is about, like, he's about to leave. He's been raised from the dead. He's about to leave. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. I'm with you. I'm giving you my spirit. Go do this. And in many ways, it can be translated, as you're going in your life, make disciples. As you're on the path of following me, Make sure in everything that you do, you're pointing back to me. You're making disciples of all, of all nations. You're baptizing them of the Father and the, Spirit, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what do we see Paul do? For the next few years, Paul would travel around this area called Arabia, making disciples. Now, I, I, I wanted to get a map, but all the maps are pretty terrible. They got, like, writing all over them. What you need to know about Damascus in biblical times is it was really located in a province named Arabia. And Arabia didn't touch the, the, the sea. It was just right outside of it. And it was kind of shaped like uh, that, right? And Damascus would have been north. It would have been up here. Petra was the city capital, and Arabia was the entire place, the entire province. And what we know throughout Scripture is that Paul traveled throughout Arabia and made disciples, Acts 9 verse 19b. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Isn't this the dude who tried to like kill people? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was Christ. Now, I want to I say this. Luke records this in Acts as Damascus. If you look through other places in like Paul's letters in Galatia and others, he really kind of unpacks it. Yeah, I, I was in Damascus, but really I made kind of like day trips. I went all over the place. And you can actually see this uh, looking when he says, I was with the disciples. I think many of us would go, oh, he was with the apostles of Jesus, the, those 12 guys, or oh, maybe 11 now, right? So he's with those 11 guys, but if you go back To other parts of scripture, Galatians chapter 118, it says that he actually met Peter and James three years after he gave his life to Jesus. And so for three years, he didn't meet with anybody. He didn't meet with Peter or James. Matter of fact, another 11 years, so a total of 14 years would be the first time that he was in the same room with the apostles. And so what we see Paul do is he did not simply settle for the base of the mountain. He didn't just simply settle... For knowing God as a Savior. Paul decided to climb the mountain. And he decided to do this by every step of obedience through faith. He decided to do this by making disciples. By, by doing the spiritual disciplines like prayer, meditation, fasting, quiet times. Doing these things and by saying, I am not going to just settle. Although it's a great place to settle. For knowing God. I'm going to follow after Him and I'm going to climb up the mountain of the glory of God. I want to know Him better. Philippians 3.12, Paul says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I haven't gotten to this place on my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind me, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't just settle for where I've been. I'm a, I'm, in many ways, I'm a nomad searching for God. I have a place, I have a home, and it's with Him, and I'm going to continue to know Him better every single day. It's important to note this characteristic about Paul. He did not cast the calling of, of his life as a Christ follower onto someone else. Paul would dedicate the, reminder, the remainder excuse me, of his life to the elevation of Christ and his church. And he didn't look for someone else to do that. He didn't look and go, well, that's not really my thing. That's the thing of Christ's followers. And let, me, let me say this. In, in our culture, it is very acceptable to follow Jesus. Matter of fact, in many ways, it's expected for you and I to follow Jesus. We live in the Bible Belt of America, and I know on media there's a lot of pushback on that, but in the reality that you and I live in and make in Georgia, it's pretty acceptable for you and I to follow Jesus. And because it's very acceptable and it's a part of our culture, a lot of the things of following Jesus kind of are expected, meaning kind of be a good person, do good deeds, make it to church every once in a while make sure that you raise your kids in the faith but what so happens in our culture what happens so often is that we take this culturally acceptant thing to follow god and we twist it a little bit see we begin to view the church as a product to consume rather than a mission to reproduce see we, we come into these places and we say I follow Jesus, and then when we leave, we have multiple conversations that kind of sound like this. You're going to get to lunch today, and you're going to go, well, I thought Chris really nailed it today. No, I thought Chris missed this. That was boring. Did you hear that? He was all over the place. I don't don't really know if I like his outline that much. Like, what was his point? Or, you won't say this because she's amazing, but that worship leader, right, she just didn't do that great. She missed this and she missed that. Or did you hear the drummer? Jesse, man, just missed that beat right there. Like, let's be honest. We go to lunch this conversation happens. If, you, if you're saying you don't, you're a liar. Like, it happens. We, we, we leave this place and we scrutinize over every little thing. And what we have done is we have turned this into a product to consume. And it's not intentional. Like, our hearts aren't saying this is something we consume. But it's what we do. We choose a church oftentimes based on preferences. We go, and go, ah, it's too big for me. Nope. We walk in, ooh, that children's department looks really good. Yeah, I like that children's department. The lobby, though, I don't know. A little weird, right? Not not my thing. They serve coffee, though. That coffee is good. You know what I'm saying? Like they got, and the band, though, We, we We choose our church based on our preferences rather than how God would say, hey, you know what, you're you're the body of Christ, why don't you go where God would have you serve? Like, what do you bring to the church, as opposed to what do you come and take? And this is not a dig on you individually, unless the Holy Spirit's doing that. I'm not, I didn't write this sermon and go, you know what, Christy Trias, you just need to give a little more, (laughs) right? I didn't do that. But you know what I did? I go, you know what, I have a tendency, even as a pastor to walk in this place and go what what can the church do for me instead we should walk in and say we are the church this is just a building so when we come together we make this place work and so when I see a leaking ceiling maybe I can fix it when I see a place in in the in the next gen ministry that needs helping maybe I hate kids but maybe I can plug that hole for right now right maybe I can do this in the service of the Lord not because of my preferences Because my preference would not to hear a crying baby for an hour. Like, that would be my preference. Some of you love it. You're a little crazy, in my opinion. Like, crying babies drive me, my crying babies even drive me much more. That's probably a natural thing. But anyway, we expect for the church to serve us. And I think Paul said, as soon as I became a Christ follower, I'm going to go be the church. I'm going to serve. I'm going to make this thing happen. And, And take it one step further, we expect the pastoral staff to do most of the ministry and we believe that they exist to make ministry happen as opposed to how god would say it in ephesians 4 that the pastoral staff is there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry now that ain't mean we're in the back saying hey y'all go do ministry no 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 servant leaders right there right there beside you saying hey let's do this like let's lock arms and let's walk the walk together but the church does the ministry as opposed to coming in and seeing cool things and saying, I might get plugged in in a few months. I might volunteer here. I might do a group there. I might do. No, 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 no. You, you, you see a group need, lead a group. Like, pray about it and go, hey, God, I know I'm not a gifted teacher. By the way, there's a lot of people throughout Scripture who are not gifted teachers. And Paul raised, God raised them up to lead an entire people group. So it, it isn't about how great of a communicator you are, what gifting you have. God can take people who are broken, who don't have the skill set that me and you would say, wow, that's a great skill set. They have a skill set that is a little tweaked and needs some improving, needs some, some touches from the Lord. And he can take that and he can beautify it and turn it into something that you and I would have never, ever seen. You know what it takes? It takes steps of faith on people. It takes steps of faith to say, you know what, we're going to follow Jesus. It might be weird at first, it might be goofy, but we're going to do it. In our search for happiness, we don't need to settle at the base of the mountain. God is calling us higher, and with every step, we get closer to him, and when we get to the top of the mountain, we look out and we see even more mountaintops because if you know anything about God you know the closer you get to him the more you go man I just don't understand you at all and I want to know more like you are a glorious God the, who you are in character and in, in the reverence that you have put in my heart I want that more and this is what we see from Paul he did not just accept Jesus walk down an aisle and say God I give my life to you get dunked and sit there He packed this thing up, put it on his backpack, and said, let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. We need a move of God. And Scripture tells us when we want God to move, he says, if my people will humble themselves and seek my face, I'll move. I'll move. We find happiness when we live like Jesus has called us to live. That's how we find happiness. Like that that long-term, over-the-moon kind of happiness. Like we are just firmly planted in the peace and the joy of the Lord. We find it when we serve in him. Now you'll have to come back next week for my second thing. Because I'm not going to do that this week. But what I want you to know is that as the band comes up and we sing a couple of songs. want to make sure everybody knows what's going on. A couple of songs. And we worship God. What I want us to know is if you're in, if you're in this room this morning and maybe you're saying, I, I don't know much about God. I'm not even sure if I'm at the base of the mountain. What, what we did on week one is we handed out some compasses. Or maybe more than one compass. We handed out compasses and we said... You know, in our lives, we all search for happiness, and oftentimes we look inside for that. and We think we know what makes us happy, but in reality, what makes us happy is God and His compass. And so maybe if you're in this place this morning and you're saying, I don't really know if I know the Lord, but I want to know more, maybe you need to come lay down your compass and grab one of ours. Maybe you need to lay down one of your compasses and And grab this compass right here that is just a representation to say that, God, I want to know more about you. I want to follow you. The passage that we wrote on on this says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I challenge some of you, and I'm going to follow up with, with a lot of you, to say, hey, keep this with you. Put it in your car, hang it on your mirror, because every day we should be reminded to delight ourselves in the Lord, and he'll give us the desires of our heart. So maybe that's you in this room this morning saying, maybe I need to lay down my compass and come grab the Lord's. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you say, you know, I've, I've kind of settled at the base of the mountain. And I know the Lord. I love the Lord with all my heart. But I've been timid. I haven't had the faith to take steps up the mountain and climb it. And so what I would challenge you to do this morning is just talk to God and say, what are you calling me to do? What are those steps of faith that, you, that I need to take, is what I would tell you, in order to climb up the mountain of God and know you better, Lord, and follow you better. Because happiness sounds really good. And I'm not here to tell you that as you climb up the mountain, there won't be moments where you go, well, this stinks. Because there will be moments just like I had climbing up that volcano where you slip and you fall. There will be moments when you're just tired and you don't know if you can move on anymore. But God has gone before us. And he's pulling us all along the way. And it's not your faith that's saving you. It's the faith of God that he is saving you. He put that in you. And so maybe you need to take a step of faith this morning and say, God, where would you call me to follow you in?